Good morning. How's everybody doing? Nice. That's the best response ever. And that's not a joke. Usually I get... John 4 um, is, is a great chapter, and I'm really excited to, to get to preach uh, from it this morning. And uh, it's, it's a little bit different style of, of sermon this morning because what's happening here is sort of Jesus giving a culmination of teaching of stuff that's happened previously. So he's drawing upon the circumstances of the stories that he's told and, and the encounters that we've, we've had uh, leading up to this. And so it kind of becomes a conglomeration teaching for Jesus. Um, and I want to, before we get into the heart of the message, I want to remind us of, of two things. One is that Jesus is walking alongside this earth with these 12 guys, these disciples, that he's, th- this conversation happens with them. And Jesus is fully aware there's a lot of ministry, a lot of life that is to come. But ultimately, Jesus knows he's going to leave this message, this Christian life, this mission, this purpose to these 12 guys. And so it's really important for Jesus that he's reinforcing all along the way, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, this is what's happening. And this morning is... The, the verses that, that Kelly just read are, are an attempt at Jesus to kind of back away and, hey guys, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. And so for us, Jesus is, is investing in these guys for the mission. And that the same mission that Jesus invested in these guys is the message that, and the mission that, that we are all on. All right? So it, it's good for us to kind of connect with that. And then, again, I've said it every time throughout the, the course of John, the second thing is that Jesus is the Christ. That's the purpose of the book that the John wanted to present Jesus as the Christ. And for each and every reader and studier of this book for generations to come would understand that Jesus is the Christ. And it's really important and it, and it really kind of comes out big time in the, the stuff that we see today. And so there are really two things that are happening here that we're going to walk through this morning. The first one we'll spend most of our time with and the second one just touch on briefly at the end. First is Jesus is teaching a big picture lesson to his disciples about three things, the kingdom, the gospel, and then life, how to live, how to be, how to engage, how to see what's happening. And so Jesus uses the events of all of the, 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 the happenings that John has related so far, the, the woman at the well, the, the encounter with Nicodemus in John 3, and then the, the story at the the wedding in Cana in John 2. He's, all of those things have happened, and Jesus is, is shaping the events to teach the ultimate story about the kingdom, about the gospel, and about life. And we'll, we'll kind of look particularly and, and see some, some big picture. If you're used to, to being here, mostly when, when I'm preaching, it's, we're working like verse after verse after verse after verse, go one by one through each of the verses. And I don't think that's, that's appropriate for, for this message this morning, to study these verses. We're going to kind of back up and see a big picture of what Jesus is actually meaning to leave with these disciples and, and what it means to be a part of the kingdom and, and what it is that, that Jesus is bringing to this earth. And when Jesus came to the earth, he came to bring his kingdom. His kingdom has come to the earth. And we'll talk about what it means for the kingdom to come to the earth. Uh, so let's, let's dig into this. Uh, the kingdom, first of all, Jesus is teaching a big picture lesson to his disciples about the kingdom. Uh, 
Verse 35 and 36. Let's look at those just for a second here of, of John chapter 4. Do you not see that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Jesus is talking here about the kingdom that's come. Jesus always teaches in metaphors. People learn a lot in metaphors, and this is what he's teaching about the, the sowing and the reaping of a field. You sow in the spring and you reap in the end of summer. Four months happen between the two. Jesus is saying, because of the kingdom that I'm bringing, you're going to witness it all happen all at once, which is what they just saw happen with this woman at the well. And the event that happened with the woman at the well is kind of going to explode at the end here. This, these disciples come back, see Jesus talking with the woman that he shouldn't be. First of all, he shouldn't be talking to a woman. Second of all, he shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan woman. But they sense that something big has happened. And then in just a bit, at the end of the verses that we'll, read, that we'll deal with, that Kelly read, the Samaritans, it just kind of blows up. And so what Jesus is showing these people is that when I'm here, when I'm seen rightly, stuff happens. And it, you don't have to wait four months for it to happen. So the idea is that when the kingdom comes, when Jesus is seen rightly, the world is immediately changed and people are immediately changed. It causes people to see beyond their specific and personal circumstances. Let's look at at the woman at the well and what was going on with her. Do you guys remember? She was living a life completely alone. If you remember the story from last week, she had five different husbands and was living with a man that wasn't her husband. And the way the culture happened, the women of the, of, of the community would go out to this well and they would get the water for the day, the water to drink, the water to cook, the water to clean, all that stuff. They would go together as a group of women to gather at this well to take the water back to their village so they could use the water. This woman goes at the height of the day at noon. And it's Remember, we're in the desert here. And so she has to, she has been placed on the margins by society in order that she might go and get her water, all right? But for this woman, it's because she has encountered Jesus, the kingdom has come to her. No longer is she consumed with who she is and what she's done. She's only consumed with Christ. And this is what the kingdom means to to come here. And the, the idea is that for this woman, and, and we talked about idols last week, and she had an idol, a, a desperate need for relationship. And I, I want to slow down and, and think intimately and deeply about this particular woman and what's going on in her and why she had to have these, these men around her. She needed a man to fulfill a need that she had. Here's the thing. God created us to be in relationship with one another. Specifically, God created marriage to fulfill a need he was going to provide. Um, it's interesting that, that Jeff, you chose the, the song always to end 
uh, end our, our, our time this morning because the, I think it's the bridge. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. Is that the bridge, right? Check Rick out with the musical knowledge. Um, <laughs> um, that bridge there, my help comes from the Lord. That's, that idea comes from the Psalms. You see it all the time. I look to the heavens from where my help comes, and my help comes from the Lord. And that word help is the Hebrew word. Do you guys know? Help me out. Please tell me some of you know. Azer. Yes, well done. That Hebrew word is the word for Azer. Every time it appears in Scripture, it appears in relationship to God. He is our help, except for one time. Do you know the other time who it's talking about? It's talking about Eve. He is... Eve is a gift from God to provide God-like help to the man. God created us to be in that relationship. He created Adam to have a need that he was going to fulfill in the person of Eve. We, you, you follow that. This is crucial for us. In the garden, pre-fall, pre-sin, pre-idols, pre-bad, Adam and Eve are together providing for one another's needs, but it's traced back to God. Because the help that Eve provides for Adam doesn't generate inside of Eve. It generates from God, and it manifests itself from Eve. Do you, you, you pick them? You under, there's, a, there's a fine line there, and it's really important. Because this woman had sensed a need that God had placed in her for relationship. But she had gone and decided that she was going to gather for herself fulfillment of that need. And we do that all the time. It's called sin. Every urge that happens inside of us is placed there by God. When sin happens, it's when we try and gain for ourselves fulfillment of that need outside of the provision that God has given to us. For this woman, very specifically, she had a need for relationship and she sought it from men. And when they didn't provide everything for her, they were dismissed. Or when she didn't provide everything for them, she was dismissed. And there was broken relationships, damaged relationships, so much so that she walked around in her community, in her village, with a big giant scarlet letter on her that dismissed her from culture. And we live there all the time. Maybe it doesn't manifest itself in, in multiple divorces. Maybe it manifests itself up in other ways. But ultimately, we try to provide for ourselves in ways that God intended to provide for us. And what Jesus is teaching here about the, the fields ripe for harvest to his disciples about this story he just engaged with the woman at the well, and even before that with Nicodemus and the, and the wedding ceremony and all these things, Jesus is teaching them that the kingdom is coming now. So all of the, that error, all that bondage that happens because you have incorrectly tried to fulfill your needs is gone today. You don't have to wait four months for it. You don't have to wait six years for it. You can experience it today. And here's, like, the beautiful part is about the book of John. There are so many layers here. John is relating stories about how Jesus immediately encountered a particular situation. And then he's using that to teach, Jesus is using that to teach the disciples about the kingdom. And John is using that teaching to teach the readers of the book 
about the kingdom. And so for us, we can enter, engage and enter into the story and understand that we have needs that God placed in us that we have incorrectly sought to fulfill by ourselves, and thus we have separated ourselves from the kingdom. But Jesus left heaven to come to this earth to live a perfect life and to die alive so that he could re-engage us with the kingdom. And that's what's happened to this woman. You following that? It's, it's vital for us to connect with. And that it becomes freedom not just from particular sin, but freedom from bad things. And I want to stop for a second because for this woman, she still had five divorces. She still had, was living with a man that wasn't her husband. And she still was pushed out of society. All of these things were still true about her. And so how does she have freedom from these bad things, yet everything that was still there, present, the physical surroundings of her life, were still present? How can, that, how can those two things exist? Because, this is something if you've been here for any long, pink period of time, we have to redefine bad. Yes, your circum- her circumstances were still what they are. And just because you encounter Jesus and encounter the kingdom doesn't mean that the house payment isn't going to be due next week or that your job still isn't going to be awful next week or that your relationship, your marriage isn't going to be perfect next week. Those aren't necessarily bad things. We need to redefine bad and good when in relationship to our circumstances by this way. Bad is something that distracts us from the presence of God. Any circumstance that causes that is bad. Good is something that attracts us to the presence of God. So, the divorces that, were, that are present in her life and the pushed out into the margin that is present in her life can be utilized to separate her from God or to draw her from God. And ultimately... Everything that is happening in this world, all of the circumstances in your life will do one of those two things. Good, draw you to God. Bad, press you away from God. And when Jesus comes to bring the kingdom, he really just opens our eyes to his godness. And good happens. Again, our definition of good. Blessing I hate when I go to a, a bank or a drive through or have a blessed day. I want to stop and say, what do you, what do you mean? What, what are you trying to say to me when you say, have a blessed day? Is it, if you guys, like last week, everybody here probably heard someone say to them, have a blessed day. So a lot of people even have it like as their email signature. Have a blessed day. What does that mean? Does it mean your cold goes away? Does it mean your, your child, your, your infant child slept through the night and gave you eight hours in a row? Does, is that what it, does it mean you found 20 bucks? Does it mean that you got a bigger income tax return? Maybe. But probably not. What it means, 
To be blessed by God, to experience the kingdom of God, is to experience God. And whatever circumstances happen in our lives that bring us to that point, those things are labeled good. And this is what Jesus is teaching here when the fields are ripe for harvest. Because God himself, Jesus, has entered into every situation and and we are encountering him and watching him encounter people and watching lives be changed because of his presence. And it starts and ends with rightly seeing him for who he is, the Christ. Jesus is teaching not just about the kingdom, but about the gospel. The gospel starts and ends with Jesus. It's fulfilled in him and by him. Uh, Look at, at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. I want to This is something that I've never seen. I've studied John chapter 4 lots and lots of times. I've never seen that here. This woman was so scorned and ridiculed by society that she didn't interact with the other women in her society. But something has changed about her that has caused her to now engage and interact with her culture. Right? Pre-Jesus and the the happenings at the well and all that Jesus taught her in, in the middle of that, before that, she would have, she would have not gone back to her, her village and, and said, hey, look who I met. She would have gone back to her village and, and, and been out in the outskirts of her village and not engaged life with people. But what happens is, is beautiful. Jesus and engaging with him have caused her to see Jesus and God rightly, but also herself rightly. Here's, here's the point. The gospel is, is here. That seeing Jesus causes us to see ourselves rightly. Do you know this? That Jesus intends to put away your sin and replace it with himself. There was no theology class that happened in the life of this woman. There was no deep encounter where she studied Scripture and came up with this fact. Nobody taught her the process of sanctification. Nobody taught her these big, churchy, theological words. All she knew was that her sin had been forgiven. And not just that, not just had Jesus forgiven her sin, but she had forgiven herself her sin. And she had put it away. And what was now more important than remembering her sin and remembering people's ideas of her in the midst of that was to go and tell people that, wow, the Christ is here. I need to say that again because I don't think you're picking it up. She was consumed with her sin and who she was. She knew full well of her five husbands. She knew full well of who she was. And that blocked her from relationship all over her culture with her husbands, with herself, with the other women in society. But rightly seeing Jesus as the Christ had changed her. Now my sin is gone, and what is present is Jesus. Jesus wants to replace the sin in your life with himself, just like he did with the woman at the well. Let him. 
Like, now let's back up and, and bring this to 2014. What does your sin do to you? What does the sin that you wrestle with all the time do to you? Where does it leave you? Does it leave you in a prison that was created? The bars in that prison are your sin. Does it bring you to that spot? Are you pre-Jesus woman at the well, going to the, the well in the middle of the day, in the hot of the sun, because society has pressed you away? Or because you have pressed yourself away? Do you not approach God because of what is in you? Do you not approach culture because of what is in you? Yes is the answer, by the way. But seeing Jesus rightly causes us to put away that sin. Christ has put away your sin. Look at me. Christ has put away your sin. And when you don't allow him that, you... The prison that you sit in is of your own doing. Like this, that's so important. I, like, I don't want to be redundant, but I don't want to leave this idea. Because if you're not there right now, sitting in a prison of your own doing because you, you're holding on to your sin... You either have been recently or will be soon. The cross of Jesus Christ and the godness of Jesus Christ and the gospel says to you, I have put it away. And the reason that I've put it away is not for you to enjoy today. It's so that you can see me rightly as Savior, as Christ. Next week, we're going to wear pretty clothes and bright clothes, and we're going to celebrate a resurrection. And this is the point, that your sin is put away, and we can now engage God unencumbered. Do, you, do we live there? And Like, Jesus didn't even have to, like, the woman at the well didn't need this message to realize her sin was put away, and to go into her town and tell people. But we do. Please hear this. Put, allow Jesus to put your sin away. The other big picture lesson, kingdom and the gospel, is life. That's the lesson that Jesus is teaching here, a big picture lesson about life. John has relayed now his fourth story where Jesus is teaching and people just didn't get it. There are four instances so far where, where Jesus uses a metaphor to teach something and the people just don't get it. Um, They're going to be on the screen here. In John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus says, I will raise this temple in three days. And the religious leaders he's talking to says, what are you talking about? It took our fathers 46 years to build this temple. They don't understand. Secondly, in the story with Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus' response is, can a man reenter his mother's womb? That doesn't make any sense. You don't. You don't make any sense. Then the third one, John 4.10, Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. Jesus says to her, I will give you living water. She says, you don't have a bucket. She doesn't understand. She doesn't get it. The last one, the disciples and what we read this morning, 
says, Jesus says to them, I have food that you don't know about. And they say, wait a second, did you guys, did, who, brought, who brought Jesus food? How did he, how did he get what? They don't, they don't understand. The big picture lesson that Jesus is teaching here is that you just, you don't, most of the time when we're consumed with our circumstances, we don't understand what Jesus is teaching us in the midst of those circumstances. God uses circumstances in your life to get your mind off of those circumstances and on to him. There's a, there's a horrible situation. Some of you guys know about it. I've asked for prayer for a, a, a friend of our, our family that our kids go to school with, dealing with, with cancer. It's a really ugly, difficult situation that's brought me to my knees in tears. Like it's, I'll tell you later. I don't want to tell it now. If, if you want to ask me, I'll be glad to, to share it with you. Um, but it's like miserably awful situation. And those circumstances can cause you to just say, God, how, what, what, like, I have no response to this, to this woman and her family. No response. I don't know. Doesn't make any sense. And these circumstances here, when we see the, the food and the water and the well and the bucket and, and rebuilding the temple and whatever, those are, like, those happen to other people thousands of years ago. And they don't shatter an existence like this particular story that I'm talking about or maybe a a story that's going on in your heart and in your world they don't shatter your existence but the message the big picture message that Jesus is teaching here is this somehow lay aside those circumstances and understand that I am in fact the Christ and the pain that you feel will be utilized by God to draw your attention to him because there's nothing that's present in this physical world that can or will or has any prayer to satisfy the longings that God put in your heart. And anything that's used to take our hands off of that misconstrued understanding is good. And we've got to see that. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. We don't understand our own circumstances. And here, for us, when we read this story, when we read each of those stories, and when he talked to religious, religious leaders and he said to them, I'm going to rebuild this, this temple in three days, and they say, no, it took their fathers 46 years. Our modern response to that is, oh, these silly people, they just don't understand. You just don't get it. Or when we encounter the woman at the well... No, silly woman at the well. He's not talking about actual water. He's talking about this water. And we can see that. But like, for us, in our circle, we do that all the time. And, and our great-great-grandchildren are going to look, oh, you silly people. This is what God was teaching you. But how much better would it be for us to engage our circumstances today for all that they are? And this is what, again, those layers here, Jesus intends to teach his disciples here in this moment. This is what you're going to need to know about these circumstances. Because the circumstances you're about to encounter 
me being dead and you running away from me, you're going to need to draw upon this to live, live, live the mission that I intend for you to live. Jesus investing his gospel, investing his kingdom, investing his way to live into these people. And then John relating that story where he learned that lesson to people who would read the story 70 years later, which is when the book of John was written, to engage all of those things. And now for us, as we retrospectively look at it, to see these things explode in our minds, to teach us how to be engaging with God, seeing him rightly, and then taking that understanding on mission in our society so that when our friends and loved ones engage in an awful situation, we have the gospel, we have the kingdom, we have life to invest in them because it's been invested in us. This is why you exist, to see Jesus rightly and to help others see Jesus rightly and encounter him. Know it, love it, be it. It is the gospel. It is life. So our second point here, the Samaritans are coming to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Let's go back to the end of our story and read this. uh, Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Do you see? Jesus engaged this woman. This woman laid aside her sin, laid aside the cultural boundaries that had been placed around her and went and told people about what Jesus did. And they first wanted to hear about Jesus because of the woman. But then the reality that Jesus is the Christ changed them. And having seen Jesus rightly through the testimony of this woman, they now speak this truth. This indeed is the Savior of the world. This is it. This is the point. This is the purpose. And I want to walk through a few things as we end this morning. A few things that have already happened in the first four chapters of John that have kept people from seeing Jesus rightly as the Christ. Fire that slide up there, Ben. These, these are things that kept people from seeing Jesus rightly as the Christ. And again, don't retrospectively look at this thinking, oh, you silly people. Look at this retrospectively thing, oh, you silly people, oh, you silly me. Things that keep us from the beginning of time to today. These are things that keep us from seeing Jesus rightly as the Christ, the Savior, as the Samaritans have seen him rightly as. Rules. Our failure in rules or our misperceived idea behind rules. Jesus didn't give us rules, didn't give us the laws of the Old Testament so that he could slap us on the wrist. He gave us those rules because this is the path to life and joy and happiness. Like, I wish it was still pouring down rain outside because the structure of, let's imagine, let's just pretend. Can we pretend for a second? Do we need to bring the kids in here? They can help us pretend. Like, If it was still pouring down rain, these walls would provide 
walls for us. We can't, like, we could get claustrophobic. Oh, man, w- these, these are rules that I want to be. But we get out there, and, like, the thunder and the lightning and the storm would come. That's, that's a rule. God brought you the Old Testament for that purpose, to protect you, to provide for you. Not to say, here's what you can do, and here's what you can't do, and you to push those limits. When we engage these rules for what they are, we encounter God. Rules can keep us from God. Rules can take us to God. In these stories, rules had kept people from God. In your life, a lot of times, rules keep you from God. A lot of you have come to this church because you get to wear jeans and do what you want. And you grew up in a church where rules kept you from God. That's like short-sighted to see that. Look at the big picture that God is teaching, God is leading you towards. What else here? A need to clean ourselves up first. This keeps you from God. Scripture never, ever celebrates that. You aren't the one responsible. You're not responsible to clean yourself up. That's God's job. You don't put away your sin. Jesus does. And when we somehow embrace our sin and and understand it fully and live there, we separate ourselves from God. We don't see him rightly because we see him as not capable of putting that sin away. That's not seeing Jesus rightly. What else? Tradition. You got to do it this way or you're done. And even a lot of who we are is in rebellion to tradition, which is creating a tradition. Like, this isn't it. This isn't the, this is, like, don't let tradition keep you, even a seven-year-old tradition, keep you from seeing Jesus rightly. An arrogant misunderstanding of who we are and what we know. Typically, the dude holding the microphone trips here all the time. You silly people, you just don't understand grace. I do. Listen to me. That happens to us all the time. This is like penetrating my heart now. And it probably, if you let it, would, will penetrate yours. Allow Scripture to speak to you. Our own brokenness. I'm broken. This is the woman at the well. Her brokenness almost caused her to not see God rightly. But Jesus encountered it and put her sin away and replaced it with himself. Our own rightness. This is the this is Nicodemus and the other religious leaders. I'm right. I don't. Thanks, Jesus. There's some Samaritans down the road that might need what you have to say. Rightness. Your own misperceived rightness can keep you from God. Loneliness. Like this is one. It's, it's torture. Because we were not made to be alone. This woman at the well was fully alone. You might find yourself today fully alone. 
maybe fully alone, completely surrounded by people. Jesus wants to enter into that. Jesus has entered into that. Because ultimately, the whole point of all of this, this building, this microphone, those chairs, the book that's sitting in your lap, the book that's on your phone, all of that is from verse 42, that we can be like the Samaritans. Because of his testimony, we can understand that Jesus is the Savior. And my prayer this week has been that that idea would penetrate to the depth of us in all of our circumstances, in all of our stories, in all of our lives, that we would see the kingdom, we would see the gospel, we would see life, and they would all be utilized to penetrate deep into our beings so that we could be like the Samaritans and say, this indeed is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Jesus. God, I pray that you would allow us to see your son rightly and our life would change because of it. We would see your kingdom come today in this moment. And we would rejoice, Father. We would see your gospel clearly as your sin, your, you have put our sin away and replaced it with yourself. And we would be as the Samaritans who have seen Jesus rightly as the Christ. God, guide us now as we respond to you. Show us your son. Show us your gospel. Show us your kingdom. Christ's name.